BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 184 of the Rise and Shine podcast and the featured guest this week, someone I've always wanted to have on the pod. He is a fan of the radio show. We have tweeted at each other on numerous occasions. I think he is incredible. Absolutely awesome. The lead play-by-play voice for the UFC. He's synonymous with the sport. He has an unbelievable podcast. My guy, John Attic. Big Boston sports fan. He's my age. So he goes back to when the Patriots were dreadful, goes back to when the Yankees owned the Boston Red Sox. Tremendous lead play-by-play voice for the UFC and obviously a diehard fan of all sports. And you guys are absolutely going to love it. His passion, knowledge, opinions on Boston sports and the UFC, absolutely off the charts. And as we welcome in our executive producer, Bob Stew, Bob, I got so much feedback last week with the Thanksgiving Shine 9 to start the podcast and, you know, all of our hot takes and burning questions. And before we get into a Shine 9 for what is going to be an amazing weekend in sports, there is no better feeling. You want to talk about being thankful for something? No better feeling. No matter what else you have going on in life. You just went to Italy. You have a couple of kids. I just had a great Thanksgiving. We took the kids to their first NFL game. I mean, I work on Sundays, have since 2004, you know, my 15 and 13-year-old and obviously my 8-year-old. They've never been to an NFL game, so that was awesome. Had a great Thanksgiving. There is still nothing better than winning a week in daily fantasy. (laughs) And just so the audience doesn't think I'm making any of this stuff up, and I never, ever exaggerate or disingenuous with the Rise and Shine podcast audience, I won my league, our league that you're in, a bunch of dudes from, from town, that I'm, and you got invited to the league, as everyone knows, and you dominate and you kick ass and take names all the time. This is the second time this year I finished in the money. I won the whole thing a couple of years ago. Second time this year I finished in the money. First time I won the week. And I had the luckiest DFS week in the history of Daily Fantasy, Bob. I wouldn't say it was the luckiest, Adam. Your lineup was great, right? Like, you made your own luck. It wasn't the luckiest week. I think it was the luckiest Monday night I've ever seen because it was the Vikings and the Bears, right? And you were clinging to a lead. I wouldn't even say clinging. You were up by, like, 30 points. And, again, one of the great things about fantasy football, and I always say this, too, about guest booking – There's no guarantees. You're not guaranteed to get any points, Adam. Your players are not guaranteed to score a single point. 
as reference to me too last night who played TJ Hawkinson and had zero points at the half. So again, you are not guaranteed to have points. So when you have a lead, you have a great chance to win. And you went into the game at least up by at least 30 points on a couple of people who were behind you, including Boris, who still had a quarterback and a wide receiver. So when I saw it going into the games yesterday, I didn't even say anything to you because I knew you were going to be sweating. I knew you were going to be sweating bullets all night. It was that small of a lead, especially for daily fantasy. But the game delivered for you. I mean, 3-3 at the half. Yes. I, I, as yes. soon as I saw 3-3, Adam, I'm like, you're going to win this. I didn't even check the standings. I go, Adam's going to win this one. It's only 3-3. Three to three, But, wow, you only won by like a point and a half. And I can't even imagine what you must have been feeling when DJ Moore caught that 36-yard pass because Boris had him and a few people right behind you had him, and your lead was shrinking by the pass. I couldn't believe what happened. I still can't believe you won. It was a great victory. Dobbs was live. Hawkinson was live. Fields was live. Moore mm. was live. Uh, Madison was live. I yeah. mean, it was it was kind of crazy. And, you know, my buddy Adam started the night in, in second place. He finished in in 10th, which is all you need to wow. know. So, I mean, <laughs> I, think about that. Started the night in second, finished That's in tough. 10th. Boris, mm. who's a big fan of the Vikings, I mean, I, he had a rough night all the way around. <laughs> so, I finished with 151.86 points. Boris finished with 150.2. Third place was 149.26, then 146.58, then 144.9. And, Bob, you're right. I had a great lineup. I got lucky, too, with Devontae Smith and the Eagles going to overtime. That most certainly helped me. No question about it. I liked my lineup going in. I liked who I started. Stroud and Tank Dell stacked them. Derrick Henry, I loved him against Carolina. Started Warren, only got me eight, but I started Pittman, who got me 23.7. Started the aforementioned Smith, who got me 26.6. Dorch got me 11.7. That was a tremendous start. That was, I got to give my guy Jeff Ratcliffe from Tops, our, our fantasy guy. He said, you got to start Dorch this week, and I yeah. I rolled with him. That was that a was huge luck, play. That, that's the one I thought that was lucky for you because it was a garbage time touchdown. He did nothing oh, yeah. all game. He had oh, one yeah. catch, and that was, I just thought that was a weird one, especially because I looked at Dorch, too. Because you and I usually share a brain on a lot of these, and we usually play a lot of the same players, too. Always. And we never discuss it anymore, and we still play a lot of the same people. But I thought Dorch was a little bit of a dice roll because Hollywood Brown was playing, Zach Pascal was coming back, and he takes a lot of snaps away from Dorch, too. The Cardinals like playing him. So I thought that was your lucky play. The rest of it, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was brilliant. So, and the others that I, I, I feel compelled to at least acknowledge, and I said this to you. So, I'm on my favorite group chain with my buddy Nick, who's, you know, the commissioner of the league, and my buddy Dave, and my buddy Matt, who retired from DFS. Not from gambling, but from DFS. <laughs> and, and he won the league a, a few years ago. And we're going back and forth and going nuts. And Dave had a couple guys who are live, and it's, it's great. So, I pulled Sunday morning Pat Fryermuth. In oh. favor of Isaiah Likely. Yeah. I pulled on Sunday morning, I pulled the Broncos in favor of the Chiefs. Ugh. It wasn't like an if-then swap this guy, you know, for two guys for two. That was a conscious decision. I had the budget for all these guys. Right. I made a football decision likely yeah. over Fryermuth. I love Fryermuth this week. And I was like, you know what? It's the Chargers. I'm going to roll with Likely. We had Lamar on the show. I know he likes Likely. Andrews is out. 
And I thought the Chiefs would get some sacks. I thought the Chiefs would, you know, get an interception or two. I thought that would be more of a low-scoring game. They only got me two points. So if I would have lost because of the Broncos or Friermuth, I would have gone nuts, Bob. So I'll, I'll take my luck there without question. I played the Chiefs too, Adam, and I feel like a real idiot also because I almost played the Ravens. I almost played the Patriots defense. I still mm. can't believe I didn't play the Patriots defense going up against the Giants. Two points is miserable from the defense. It's miserable. I played Pat Fryermuth last week, so don't ask me about Pat Fryermuth. I think he made <laughs> one catch last week. I'm in Italy. I go, is Pat Fryermuth playing? I got to check the app. I have no idea. So I get it, Adam. Those those were conscious decisions, but you still won anyway. I mean, that's the beauty of DFS. There isn't oh. just a, a perfect cookie-cutter way to win it. Sometimes you get a little lucky. That's how it goes. And it's good to be lucky when it comes to DFS. I'll tell you that right now. All right, and listen, it made my whole day. Monday night, I was sweating. That game was unwatchable. I couldn't get enough, though, of what was going on with DFS. So, yes, I got my first DFS win of the year. 25 guys in it and thrilled to be in first place. All right, this week in football is going to be incredible. So I want to hit you for the Shine 9 with a, a couple, with nine games. Nine takes, nine different stories. We had Debo Samuel on Radio Row right after Championship Sunday. He said that if Brock Purdy was healthy, that San Francisco would have beat Philly on Championship Sunday by double digits. You know I picked San Francisco to win that game, albeit by three, not by ten. Vegas has San Francisco favored as we tape this on Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock by two and a half points. Bob, I have to pick them by 10 because I think they're better than Philly. Debo said it on our show that they would have won by double digits. I have San Francisco going into Philly and making a huge statement that the Niners are the best team in the NFL. Yeah, I'm not feeling it, Adam. I mean, I saw the Eagles beat them last year, and that game wasn't even close. I know what they're saying, that if Purdy didn't get hurt, the Niners could have won that game. I didn't see it that way. I thought the Eagles dominated pretty much early on in that game, too, and they were on their way to a double-digit win. I'm going to roll with Philly. I feel like the Eagles are kind of like these early 2000s Patriots teams. I mean, they Ooh. don't play well and they win every game. It's unbelievable. You can't drive a stake through their heart. They have a bad first half. They come out in the second half, and they score 30 points. So I just saw the Eagles beat Buffalo, and I think the Bills are as good as any team in the NFL. They didn't deserve to win it, and they still won it. We've seen this time and time again. The problem, I think, for San Francisco is the game is in Philadelphia. I need to see if Lane Johnson is healthy. I think that's a massive deal. If he doesn't play, then yeah, I think San Francisco can definitely win the game. But if Lane Johnson plays... I'm going to roll with the Eagles, and I don't think it's going to be that close. I think at least a 10-point win for Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Okay, so we totally disagree on that one. How about the Broncos? Winners of five straight. They're absolutely in the thick of things. Taking on the Houston Texans and my guy C.J. Stroud in Houston. Bob, I think this is the toughest game of the week to pick, and I, I think Houston's going to get a win. I, I think they're going to bounce back after the war against Jacksonville, and in a great one, in a tight one, I like C.J. Stroud, Tank Dell, and the Texans to beat the Broncos. Yeah, see, this is the toughest game of the week to pick, Adam. And I've been rolling with the Broncos week after week after week, and I kind of got off the bandwagon after they didn't cover specifically against uh, – they didn't cover against the Vikings specifically. I lost that game by a half a point. I think I'm going to go back to the well with Denver, though, right? They're on a big winning streak. I just think the Texans are still a little bit young. They're still finding new ways to win in the NFL. Stroud is a great player. You know, Jacksonville has a great defense. I think Denver's defense has been just as good as Jacksonville's over the past past month of the season. I'm going to roll with the Broncos. I think it's going to be an awesome game, though. 
Wow. I had the Broncos last week, and I felt great about that one when you look at what transpired against Cleveland, and, and I was able to take care of business on that one. Speaking of Cleveland, as we tape this, we don't know who the Cleveland quarterback is, but Bob, I want to make a point here. Matthew Stafford's healthy. Kyron Williams is healthy. I think the Rams are going to beat the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I get it, Adam, and I was off the Rams bandwagon two weeks ago, and then they pulled me back in. I mean, Matt Stafford, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, 2-2 Atwell, Kyron Williams. It's one of the most fun offenses to watch in the NFL. Totally I, I love watching the Rams. Adam, if the Browns have to start Joe Flacco, what are we doing here? I, I lived Joe Flacco for two years. I can't see Joe Flacco in another football game. Either him or P.J. Walker, that's a big advantage for the Rams. I'm with you. I'm going to roll with the Rams, too. All right, some college picks quickly. SEC title game. I think it's going to be a great one. I have Georgia beating Bama, but Bama covering the six. I I just Adam. I just I'm rooting for the chaos. I want Alabama to win because I want to see the committee's heads explode. If Alabama wins, what do they do? How can you keep Georgia out? Right? I mean, Georgia 30 game winning streak, back to back champions. Georgia gets knocked out. I'm rooting for Alabama. I I I'm with you though. I'm rooting for the chaos. I think Georgia's going to win the game. I think it will be close. This is not your Georgia teams of the past, Adam. These aren't the Stetson Bennett Georgia teams. These aren't <laughs> the Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter Bulldogs. They're not. They've had some close calls this year. They're not the best team in the country, I think, this year. I think they're maybe second or third. I think they're going to win, though. The game is in Georgia, which is a big advantage. So give me the Bulldogs. I think they win and cover. Pac-12 championship coming up on Friday night, Bob. This one is interesting on a few different levels, including... The point spread, which I find a little bit fascinating here. Not that I disagree with it per se, but it's just noteworthy. Oregon, neutral field, favored by nine and a half. They have a loss on the season. Taken on undefeated Washington. Listen, I think Washington will absolutely cover, but I do like Oregon, Bob, to win that game. Well, it's funny you just mentioned the one loss. That was to Washington. Dan Lanning botched the end of the game, if you remember, yep. and... That was a close one there. Washington went on the buzzer. I think the point spread is high because Washington has not looked good in recent weeks. I mean, they've survived scares. They survived a scare against Washington State last week. They needed another field goal at the buzzer. Oregon does look the part, Adam. Every time you watch them play, I really like the short passing game. I'm not a Bo Nix fan. He's had a great season. I think Oregon's going to win, too. I just think they've really rounded into a more complete team over the past month. If I was Washington, I would be worried. I mean, a loss eliminates you from the playoff with the way it's going. I'm also going to roll with Oregon. I wouldn't be surprised to see them win by double digits. The audience knows, you know, I've been all in on Michigan destroying Ohio State, the witch hunt against Michigan, and Harbaugh's back, and Michigan should be the number one team in the country. They're going to smash Iowa. Whatever the spread was, I was going to say, listen, take Michigan. Iowa literally can't score. So, you know, 23 and a half as we tape right now on a Tuesday. Bob, this is going to be, you know, revenge for everyone and everything. I mean, th this has 55 to 3, but how does Iowa <laughs> even get 3 written all over it? Yeah, Michigan is going to destroy Iowa. I don't think it's going to be 55 to 3, Adam. I think all it's right, going to be 41 like, to 3. No, how about that? I don't I don't see that either. I think Iowa's defense is excellent. I mean, they're just a little bit worse defensively than Penn State, right? And Penn State gave Michigan a lot of problems. I think Michigan will absolutely win. I think they will cover. I'm thinking more like 27 to 3. I, okay. I love the way 
I love the way Michigan's played, but we also saw the same scenario last year, right, where they played Purdue in the Big Ten Championship, and they had just beat Ohio State. They were undefeated, and the first half was really close. It was a one-point game. Yeah, so, and I know that Purdue team, Aiden O'Connell, and they had some actually some pretty good players in Iowa. I mean, Iowa's leading receiver is Eric All, who played for Michigan, and he hasn't played in a month. So, I mean, the fact of the matter is Iowa can't do anything. I think it will be a little bit of a nail-biter early. Say like 10 nothing at the half, and then Michigan, they beat them 27 to 3 at the end. All of the right. Game. So for giggles, I'll officially call it 35 to 3, if that makes <laughs> makes you feel better. ACC championship, and I hate the fact that Jordan Travis got hurt. But Florida State did beat Florida. And you know the playoff committee is rooting hard for Louisville, so I don't have to think about whether or not to put a 13-0 Florida State team in. I'm going to take Florida State to win this game. I wouldn't touch this in terms of gambling. Louisville has been really good, especially down the stretch of the season. I will take Florida State, but I don't feel good about it. Yeah, you can feel good about it, Adam. Without Jordan Travis, they looked pretty bad in the first half against Florida. I love the resiliency because I thought they were dead last week. I mean, you went down double digits in the swamp. They came back. I love the wide receivers. I love Coleman. Florida State still has a lot of talent. If Florida State wins, Adam, it's officially chaos for the committee. How can you leave out a team that's undefeated? I think that's really the most the most important aspect of what we're going to be watching here coming up. If Florida State wins and they're undefeated, they have to get in. I don't care what anybody says and what this committee is going to do. It's a team that well, went undefeated, an ACC team, a champion. How could you leave them out? Well, I'm going to answer the question with this pick. <laughs> Big 12 title game. Oh boy. And if Texas destroys Oklahoma State, yeah. Alabama beats Georgia. Oh, boy. Florida State wins a tight one, <laughs> relatively low scoring. Let's say both teams in the low 20s, high teens, right? Who gets in? You see, I because don't on the eyeball test, they don't want Florida State if no. they don't think they can hang with whoever number one is, and in that scenario it would be Michigan. So if Alabama wins, I think that Alabama's getting in. Georgia's getting in. And if I'm wow. Texas, I'm saying, well, what about me? We just beat you know Alabama earlier in the season in Tuscaloosa. Not to mention that if Oregon wins, Oregon's going to have a case. But mm-hmm. I don't rule out anything wild here. And what does that mean, right? Could I see a scenario? And again, I'm picking Georgia to win. Is there a scenario, though, where Alabama, Georgia, Texas, all of, and Michigan – are the four teams in the college football playoffs? You see, now I think that's realistic because then I think in that scenario they would leave out the Pac-12 champion. But again, Adam, if Washington goes undefeated, you're leaving out Washington? So this is the danger for Georgia. And I right. think it's actually Washington. That's a great point. Washington being undefeated, Washington yeah. goes in. If Oregon wins, I think we're having a conversation. <laughs> oh, because then I think they'd slot Georgia in over Oregon. But Adam, I, I honestly feel like this could be an elimination game for Georgia. If Georgia loses, oh they're not guaranteed to get in. I guess you could put Georgia in over Texas, though. But but again, again it's Alabama, Texas. Alabama's going to make it if they win. They would 100%. win the SEC championship. They'd arguably have the best win of the season, aside from maybe also Michigan and Ohio State. Right. Michigan's in regardless, right? But then I just I don't know what they would do if Washington's undefeated. They have to get into the Pac-12 champion. They'd have they'd have they beat Oregon twice and they'd have beat Utah and USC and they beat a whole lot of other ranked teams, right? So again, it would just 
I think the committee's brain would be as broken as mine is right now because you can defend it any which way. Somebody is going to be massively disappointed. There's going to be one fan base out there that is the fifth or maybe even the sixth team that wants to riot and rip up the whole thing. All I can say is, Adam, I'm so glad we're getting expansion next year because it's so unfair that one of these teams is going to be sitting at home and potentially a champion or maybe even an undefeated team. Could you imagine a team went undefeated and didn't have a right to play for the championship? Like I would rip my my hair out in any other sport, right? How could that happen if that happens to Florida State? I, I don't even know how to explain it. You absolutely nailed it. And this is why we have been screaming forever. We needed 12 teams for the college football playoffs. And if these dopes would have gotten their heads together earlier, would have had it for this year. John Anik, featured guest on the Rise and Shine podcast. You're going to love it. He joins us next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL fans, right now on the SXM app, hear in-depth coverage of your team with the Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. It's all the analysis, all the breakdowns that matter to you. Hosted by the players who played for your team and the fans who eat, sleep, and breathe it. 32 diehard fan bases, 32 podcasts. The Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. B-L-E-A-V. Search Believe in, followed by your team on the SXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The feature guest this week on the Rise and Shine podcast, and I am so excited about this. Legendary UFC play-by-play voice, my guy, Boston sports fan, the great John Anik. John, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm better now, Adam Shine. I appreciate the intro. As you well know, I've been listening to you and Bob Stu for years and it certainly made my Monday to get a text from you guys yesterday. It's great to chop it up with you. And needless to say, uh, much to discuss at this time of year, my brother. 
Without question. And by the way, I, I always knew that you listened, and it's a mutual admiration society. I'm a big fan of your work, but my favorite show-related tweet was right after Larry King passed away, and you sent me a tweet saying, I just felt so sorry for you and for the show because I know how much you love Larry King and Larry loves Shine on Sports and the admiration you guys had for each other. So before we get started, I wanted you to know how much that tweet meant to me. Well, thank you, man. It means a lot. And uh, obviously you have so much connective tissue with so many people in the sports world and in the entertainment world. And I think that's a big part of what makes your show so special is obviously those interpersonal relationships when a guy like Larry King will be home listening and will call you. And I think actually the first time I heard him on Shine on Sports, it was him actually calling in. He wasn't scheduled to be on. So uh, I'm glad that you saw that. Uh, You never know if somebody uh, is going to see your tweet. But thank you, man. That means a lot. Well, let's start with your Boston fandom, and you grew up in Boston, and you're a huge Boston sports fan, and we're about the same age. You're a year younger, and you know I'm 46, So, and that's an important perspective here because you lived the Patriots before Brady. Not everyone had lived the Patriots when they were completely irrelevant and nobody cared, and it was Red Sox pitchers and catchers and the Bruins and the Celtics. So I give the audience that to ask you this. Is this the low point for you as a Patriot fan? It is because in my formative years, I didn't necessarily know the horror show that I was watching. I certainly remember going to New England Patriots games in the early 1980s, and my grandfather would make us stay the entire game and listen to WBCN on the way home, and that was sort of how I was hardened as a Patriots fan. But yeah, I mean, I think this would be rock bottom, and I think universally, New England fans, and maybe universally is the wrong adverb, but I think most Patriots fans recognize that Bill Belichick needs to disconnect from personnel right now at the very least. And a lot of us sort of expected that Jonathan Kraft, with respect to his father, Bob, at some point would step in and say, look, fellas, you know, at some point we need to sort of have an expectation that is at the very least that we're going to make the playoffs. And I think my biggest criticism is just what was the expectation going into this year when Mac Jones is QB one and Bailey Zappi is QB two. And uh, even though I get excited about Malik Cunningham, there's a reason he wasn't drafted. A hundred percent. And you referenced the expectations. And, you know, I, I said it the year before, and they missed the playoffs, and people tried to tell me, Adam, oh, you were wrong on the Patriots when I said they'd be, you know, team 14 or 15 or 16 in the AFC. I'm like, no, 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 you're not understanding. Like, that, that was not a good season for New England. And I thought they were going to be bottom of the barrel going in. So what – because there was some optimism, right, and Patriots fans nowadays are accustomed to winning, obviously, and Bill O'Brien comes back. What were your expectations, John, going into this season? I didn't think they'd be good. I thought they would finish in last place. I didn't think they would be in contention for the number one pick necessarily because you got Kyle Duggar and people on the other side of the ball that just play hard. And the one thing that I think you could always say about Bill Belichick is that he has this undeniable appetite for coaching football, right? That's why his marriages perpetually fail because even deep into his 70s, all he wants to do is turn his back on the New England offense, Adam, and coach defense, right? So you got to appreciate at the very least his desire to still coach and unify 
my men one through 45 on game day. Uh, so I felt like defensively they would keep themselves in some games, but it is just amazing how conservatively they are calling things and and just how up against it they are offensively. It was a wayward offseason, not a great draft. The Juju Smith-Schuster signing oh. certainly was a head-scratcher, even if you weren't a Jacoby Myers supporter, and I wasn't necessarily wanting them to give him $30-plus million, but there have been a lot of wayward decisions, and I'm just hoping, man, I, I hate to put it on Jonathan Kraft, but I'm hoping that he uh, sort of rears his head into things this offseason. It's the only hope. Yeah, you're 100% right. Wayward is a great way to describe the offseason, and frankly, the offseason's for, for a long time. So you, you've referenced Jonathan Kraft a couple of times, and you know I feel like in sports radio, you have to make sure you put a period at the end of sentences. I will always and forever say Bill Belichick, to me, is the greatest coach manager in the history of North American sports. Period at the end of the sentence. I think it's time. What do you want to see in terms of changes in the offseason? Well, I am maybe one of the minority who hopes that Bill Belichick, from a head coaching perspective, sticks around. I'm not embedded locally. I live in South Florida right now, so I can't speak to what the local appetite right now is for him to at least be the head coach next offseason. But I would defer to the great Adam Shine on this. I mean, would you not suggest that they need to take personnel out of Bill Belichick's hands? I mean, certainly I don't want to see Belichick go coach Justin Herbert and lead the L.A. Chargers, you know, to the final four of the NFL next season. I still think there's value. Value in Bill Belichick, but Bill O'Brien has got to oh. go, right? I mean, you need to be creative, right? Look at some of the offensive minds, Adam, that he's competing with. He just can't, he can't stack up in 2023 with respect. No, he can't. And Bill O'Brien's done a terrible job. How would you characterize Mac Jones? Because when they drafted him, I said, and look, I was one of those who thought he was going to San Francisco and he could have been Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins with Kyle Shanahan. I, I love that fit. New England, I'm like, all right, oh, he'll be good. And he started out solid. And then Patricia happened and he completely lost confidence. And now, John, he can't complete the forward pass. How do you describe what the hell has happened here with Mac Jones? I'll try to do it efficiently. I felt like when he got drafted, he looked kind of soft, not unlike Tom Brady when he went number 199 overall. And I sort of felt like if Mac Jones wanted to lean into the strength and conditioning and the pliability and the discipline and everything that it would take to take his game to that requisite next level, then maybe he could be an average NFL quarterback. Yeah, he hired Tom House and they tried to change his delivery from like noon to 2 p.m. or vice versa with varying degrees of success. But Adam, you and I are in our mid-40s, and I think a, a three-man 40-yard dash, John Anik, Adam Shine, Mac Jones, is a competitive race, right? And it should not be. It really should not be. And so that's a big part of my issue. Uh, but yeah, he doesn't pass the eye test for me. I think in 2023, you have to be able to make some modicum of a play with your feet, right? You don't have to be Josh Allen, but you have to at least be able to make a play with your feet. He can't do that. Uh, he doesn't seem to be a great leader. Uh, you know, I think there's sort of an underlying arrogance and some rub locally that maybe he isn't the most beloved teammate. I'm sure you guys get into that nationally at times. Yeah. So I think at the very least, Mac Jones has to to go and uh you know hopefully uh there's at the very least a veteran backup of some kind even an Andy Dalton right somebody that's brought in so that when you face this situation you don't just punt on the season because it's very uncraft like as I sort of said earlier to just punt on the whole goddamn season yeah no and that's what's been going on so you're watching Giants and Patriots and Tommy DeVito living at home eating cutlets you know doing the whole thing and you know they right. they find the way the Giants win the game are you thinking at that point rock bottom or were that much closer to Caleb Williams or a combination of both using your brain and your fandom? What were you thinking, John, at that moment? 
So I got asked recently, Adam, would you rather Caleb Williams or Shohei Otani to the Boston Red Sox? I didn't even have to blink, right? Give me Otani every day of the <laughs> week, right? Caleb Williams is no guarantee. And I think that's a big part of the problem. And if Bill Belichick's still in charge of the draft, I mean, who's to say he doesn't draft Marvin Harrison Jr. number one overall if he indeed has that pick? You just don't know what the future holds. If I'm being totally honest with you, I was focused on my super contest tickets. I went one, three, and one for back-to-back weeks. Not very good here in week 12. I had Giants plus three, plus three and a half, plus four and a half, Giants plus 195. I couldn't understand, Adam, honestly, and I know you're a Giants guy, why there were all these sharp handicappers out there or supposed sharps offering up the New England Patriots as road favorites as their best bet of the week. Like you can't find a better game. That's on the board crazy. Than that? That's crazy. Now, listen, and I, I had a great week last week. We pick every game. I, I had the Patriots. So I, I lost on that one. I put a best bet. I mean, that made, how could anyone say, John, that was the best bet? I understand the desire to fade the giants, right? Certainly if you lean into the stats, the numbers, are a little bit better for New England, but my goodness. And then I see it going up at him, right? I'm watching the line, and it goes three and a half to four, four and a half. I'm like, what am I missing? I just got to stay convicted in my beliefs. But uh, yeah, thankfully, we got that one home. And I do hope that they lose out, and their schedule obviously was very unforgiving. It was the hardest schedule in the NFL, I think, according to some metrics going in. But at this point, in order to affect change, sometimes you got to bottom out, and they're certainly doing that. So we pick every game. I'm 85, 87, and 8 on the year. And, you know, we'll sprinkle some on, you know, certain action during the course of, of a week. How are you? One, three, and one consecutive weeks. How It's a wild, wild year. It's cliche, but it's true. It's a week-to-week league. How, how the How's the NFL gambling going for you this year? Pretty well, all things considered. I'm doing okay against my local bookie here in South Florida. You know, we can't use those fun <laughs> DraftKings applications down here. We still got to go the old school way. You know, I've done this Las Vegas Super Contest since 2012 when I first yep. moved to Vegas to work for the UFC. I had a sponsor before. I paid my own way. I've never cashed. I've come close. This year, unlike any other, we had back-to-back 5-0 and weeks, so we had some momentum before wow. uh, taking it on the chin the last couple weeks. But, yeah, I mean, I'm probably like you, a few below 500 where I actually pick in every game against the spread. I feel like the only thing that's different about my handicapping this year is I'm just playing more big favorites, you know? And uh, that just deviates from my approach in the past. I'm just playing more chalk, more big favorites, laying a number with Kansas City and even seeing them go down 14 nothing. They still get home against the Raiders. So that's been the only real change that has seen us do a little bit better this year than last. In your mid-40s as a Red Sox fan, and I always like talking to people around our age who are Red Sox fans because people don't realize, because the, the younger Boston sports fan is so spoiled and they have absolutely no idea I mean, the curse was real. You know, I went to Syracuse with so many Boston fans, Red Sox fans, Yankees. After they started winning World Series, I mean, we would just laugh and laugh and laugh. And then, bam, 2004 happens. And then everything else happens. And it's been, you know, misery ever since. What was that like in terms of finally, as a Red Sox fan, getting over that hump and how you got over the hump in 2004? Was it as high as the low of Aaron Boone's home run against the Red Sox in 2003? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that that question. I think it was, right? Certainly when the Patriots broke through and won that Super Bowl, it felt like, okay, you know, maybe all is not lost. But I just remember the exact bar I was at when Aaron Boone hit that home run, and it just felt like – 
you know, what am I doing with my life? I mean, I used to chart games. You know, that's Nomar Garciaparra there over my shoulder for yeah. anybody who sees. I have his Georgia Tech jersey in my closet. I was obsessed. I mean, even into my 20s, I was that guy like cutting out pictures of Nomar Garciaparra in the newspaper. So, yeah, when they broke through in 04, I think 07 was particularly sweet as well because it didn't feel like it was just a one-off. But, uh, you know, I would say in a broad sense, like the, the Boston Celtics ownership, all they care about is winning right now. And that really used to be the case for the Celtics and the uh, for the Red Sox and the Patriots as well. And I think so much of it just has to do with ownership, just stopping at nothing to try to win world championships. And John Henry and company at one point were of that mindset. But yeah, man, there was nothing quite like it. And for my mom, you know, who grew up just adoring John Havlicek and the Red Sox and the mm. Patriots, I think the joy that all of that brought her in her later years uh, even trumped, you know, my own joy. Absolutely. Now, it's interesting. You referenced the Red Sox. I'm a diehard Yankees fan, but you always want the Yankees relevant, always want the Red Sox relevant. I mean, I still can't get over the Mookie Betts trade. And it's one thing if ownership tells you you have to trade him, which is batty to me. You sold low on him, and the return was awful, and you knew that at the time. And, you know, he you don't have to guess, can he be an MVP? Can he be a prolific playoff performer and, you know, deal with the pressure playing for Red Sox Nation? He did it all. I mean, since those glory years, is that part of the low now? And how do you fix the Boston Red Sox? Because I, John, if I'm a Red Sox fan, I can't get over trading Mookie Betts in his prime. It's really difficult, and there has been next to no communication from ownership, right? If they really didn't want to commit $600 million to Rafael Devers and Mookie Betts collectively, then maybe there's a soft way to communicate that to the fan base. That's why I go back to Shohei Otani, and perhaps last season signing Yoshida, who had a great rookie year, but a signing that was roundly criticized by other Major League Baseball executives and general managers, was that some sort of a precursor to trying to lay a foundation to get Shohei Otani? Now, there's obviously a great Japanese culture, baseball-wise in Boston, dating to Daisuke Matsuzaka. If Shohei Otani comes walking through that door for $600 million, I think maybe that speaks to some sort of long-term organizational directive, but I don't think the Mookie Betts lack of long-term signing and trade was that, and I don't think you do either. So, yeah, it's unforgivable. You know, a lot of us do believe in the leadership, at least with Alex Cora. You know, maybe Jason Veritek at some point is walking through that door, but I just don't know how wrapped up in winning the organization really is right now in terms of internally what is leading to these decisions like Wick Grosbeck is obsessed right yeah. like he doesn't yeah. care about marriages right 100%. children like he's obsessed <laughs> I love these analogies it's perfect now I'm curious before we get into some of your great calls and moments with the UFC you know you're growing up and you're in Boston and again we're the same age with a great reference point and you know that that's a ball stick kind of town right in terms of you know the Celtics and obviously the Bruins and the Red Sox and the Patriots how did you get into UFC so I'll try to tell you the efficient version. I started doing some boxing radio work. I was hosting Afternoon Drive for Sporting News Radio in Boston with Ryan Rossillo, who you may know, yep. and Anthony Pepe. And eventually they launched the Mouthpiece Boxing Show, and I started to cover HBO pay-per-view events. So that sort of opened my eyes up to combat sports. I did not grow up watching boxing nor watching professional wrestling or any of that. Even when I have trained jiu-jitsu in my later years, I hope I never have to put on a gi again. Like, I really am a stick-and-ball guy. 
but I was in Bristol. I was working at ESPN radio and eventually migrated over to TV. And in 2008, they were launching a show called MMA live as they continued to sort of try to extend their coverage of mixed martial arts. I auditioned for that show and I got it. And, uh, it was just hard for me to get football repetitions at ESPN. Perhaps it was because I came into television and my conduit was digital media, but you know, 2011 football season, I get one game, right? Ohio at Rutgers. You're not going to get any better getting one game. I mean, the dream was to do football, but a lot of the avenues that sort of opened for me were mixed martial arts. And then in 2011, the UFC was doubling its schedule from 20 to 40 events. And uh, I didn't know what network they were going to be on, but I felt like it was a good time to make the leap from Bristol. And I sort of felt like eventually I could ascend to the number one seed. And I'm thankful for the way it has worked out. You know, um, I was working right alongside Molly Karam in Bristol on MMA Live in 2007, 2008. And it's amazing to watch her, obviously, on first take every morning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I will always have that that football tug, right? Hoping that at some point I might hear Adam Shine say, it's a John Anik Greg Olson fucking special, right? <laughs> but at least right now, you know, I am completely married to the UFC doing 25 events a year. And, uh, you know, that's what we're doing. I love that. Uh, representing the Football Friday picks, how we intro every single game. It's great. So uh, your calls are incredible. Your passion's incredible. And, you know, I'm not a UFC guy, but I'm a John Anik guy. So I'm always paying attention. John Jones, Conor McGregor, Sean O'Malley. Do you have an all-time favorite call? Do you have an all-time favorite fight? So when a, a fighter breaks through as a non-champion and becomes a first-time champion for the first time, that, those are probably the calls I take the most seriously. Certainly the championship fights, I guess it goes without saying, but we're providing this soundtrack that has to withstand the test of time. And even something as simple as when Jan Bohovich becomes the light heavyweight champion, I don't know what I'm going to say, right? I have no idea in the moment. Only once in 12 years have I thought about working the word immortality into a punctuated call but Jan Bohovich becomes the champion <clears throat> and I said Poland's your guy got it done and sometimes less is more and I think the call I'm most known for is Leon Edwards was fighting listlessly against Kamaru Usman and there was this prevailing narrative that maybe he was trying to go the full 25 minutes for some sort of moral victory and I sort of said late in the fifth round yeah but th that's not the cloth from which he is cut and then he lands a head kick and uh, that's probably the call I'm most known for but you know I'm most I'm most proud of like pronouncing Tijuana right and not saying Tijuana <laughs> when Brandon Moreno breaks through, right? And my UFC career sort of built me, right? It was a Mexican fight fan who probably told me in 2013, you know, hey, Slapdick, it's not Tijuana, right? It's Tijuana. <laughs> so by the time we had a Mexican fighter from Tijuana break through, I was ready for the call. So I would say anytime a fighter is a challenger and becomes champion, those are probably the moments I'm most, most proud of and I take most seriously. Perfect usage of slapdick right there. Now, the the meme, right? You and DC, Joe Rogan. I mean, I can watch that and use that at any given moment for anything that's exciting. So I know how genuine you are in general and as a broadcaster. But seriously, how does it feel to be the greatest meme ever? Huh. Well, let me let you in on something. And not a lot of people know this. So... There came a time where those visuals were being so repurposed, right? And the UFC would play them in the arena and the fans would go crazy. But you can argue that takes some shine away from the fighters when maybe instead of showing one different angle of the knockout, you're showing the three commentators. So there was about a six-month stretch where Dana White took those off of television, you know? Wow. Um, but gosh, man, I mean, it really has... 
open my eyes to just how far television can extend when you don't even expect it to. I mean, for me as a play-by-play guy, right, in terms of that brethren, most of these guys are not on social media the way I am. Maybe they aren't as connected to the fan base the way I am. And we do kind of like, in a broad sense, to stay back in the cut and not be the story. So the first time they put that announcer cam in front of Joe Rogan and started showing those reactions, (laughs) I found it a little bit off-putting. I mean, I'm a lunatic regardless, right? That's the last thing I'm thinking about when there's actually a a fight-ending moment. But uh, it's cool that people have fun with it, and it's amazing how many people in your life, you know, 15, 20 years ago that you've never heard from came across a meme of a bird feeder or something, and they send it your way. It's amazing. Finally, you have a great pod with your twin brother. Well, first of all, what's it like being a twin, seriously? And and what are those text messages like, the conversations like, you know, with you and your brother when you guys are talking sports? Well, thank you for asking. You know, I'm a true monozygotic identical twin born in the 1970s, right? So we were born at the Boston Lying In Hospital, one placenta, the real deal, right? It is crazy having a living, breathing human being that thinks like you, talks like you, especially when you are performing. Because he majored in musical theater. I spent my life, he was always the performer, the guy that my parents were flying us to go see. So it's very weird that I ended up being more in the public eye. He has hair down to his rear end, right? So there's an interesting juxtaposition there. But <laughs> if you could just imagine for a second if there was another Adam Shot and another individual who shares your DNA. Like Joe Rogan, no matter how many times he meets my twin brother, he's freaked out by it, right? Like a lot of people That's think it's amazing. weird. Especially yeah. when they feel our energy together but yeah we're trying to sort of slowly uh you know get him into the space you know our mutual friend my agent Gideon Cohen obviously is uh helping a little bit but the most unique thing probably about me as a broadcaster is that I have this identical twin so slowly but surely trying to get him into the NFL space we'll see what happens oh that would be great John you are amazing and I love catching up with you and I love your work and I'm such a big fan and listen you are so passionate so great at your job so genuine and that pours through and continued success my friend we appreciate the time and we'll do it again real soon I love you guys you'll always have fans in me true honor to join you today brother rise and shine is part of the Sirius XM sports podcast network if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more Please give a five-star rating, leave a review, subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Sirius XM Podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.